When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, y'all. This episode is sponsored by Audible. And near the top of the show, you'll hear me and Jeff talk about some of the recent audiobooks that we've listened to and are recommending. Just one correction, though. We had a glitch in the matrix. We read out the wrong details. To start your free 30-day trial with Audible, go to audible.com slash bookriot. Again, that's audible.com slash bookriot to start your free 30-day trial. Take your audiobooks with you wherever you go. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 171. We're recording on Thursday, August 18th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. It was just two days ago. I know. I mean, it's weird how we did this. It's weird when we have these stacked up. I was walking the dog last night thinking about my day today, and I was like, oh, we have to do the podcast again in the morning. And since we recorded on Tuesday, and thank you guys so much for your patience, I know uh, your Pavlovian response is to check Monday morning for your feed, and we really appreciate your dedication and and your your habit-formed loyalty to listening to the show, and we know that if it's not there, it's like, what? It's like not having breakfast or something. Right, uh, I'm like, did I iTunes screw up? Yeah, what everyone's happened? asking what their po- it, it is. It is telling that um, I have to say I'm kind of proud that people are more willing to blame iTunes or their podcatcher than it was us. They're, they're like, wait, I, just let me because it could be software um, mm-hmm. uh, rather than this way. But we're back, so we kind of marshaled some of the stuff for this show, kept it out even though it was out there in the world for Tuesday. So we're a little uh, off kilter, but uh, let's we'll we'll do our Audible spot. Audible's back to sponsor, and we'll get into the stuff for the show. Audible, you know the the leading purveyor of audio content, it really in the world, at the gym, during a commute, Audible has audiobooks from all the leading audiobook publishers, but now they also have podcasts, broadcasts, magazine and newspaper stories in audio form, business information. They're, they're really, what they're doing is they're saying, you know what, there's a lot of time in people's ears that they want, and they can, they can be entertained, they can be informed, um, and they can be occupied. So their, free is, their app is free. Their free is app. Their, <laughs> their app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android, Windows phones. You can download and listen to your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books at any time, anywhere, right from your smartphone. Talk before the great listen guarantee. Decide you don't like a book you chose, no worries. You can change any book you aren't happy with for another title. Anytime, no questions asked. Also, here in the notes, read for Audible this week, too. A special read. Also want us to remind you, we're going to talk about this later in the show, too, that The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead is the most recent Oprah's Book Club selection. We like it. I know from a lot of people that I've talked to that it's great on audio, so you can get it through Audible there as well. A lot of scuff, stuff going around with Oprah Book Club and The Underground Railroad you can find online. They're going to have a hashtag Twitter chat. We're going to talk about it here in a minute, too, but that's available as well. I'm on a Jonah Burger kick. Um, two in a row. It's Contagious, the the breakout one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, I listened to Contagious. And I'm doing the – I finished that one, and then I'm on to the newer one, which is called Invisible Influence. Um, and they're both really interesting. They're about seven hours long. And they're about the, – the first one is why certain things catch on. The second one is um, more about – I guess unconscious influence, social influence, all kinds of things like that. It's funny, you know, you and I kind of, I think, have the same Malcolm Gladwell reaction, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, but, you know, we like Gladwell, uh-huh. but, and I don't know if you remember this from Burgers Contagious, but he got into this game from listening to Gladwell. Mm-hmm. He's like, I really like what Gladwell's doing, but yeah. what if there were like original studies and things in it? So if you like Malcolm Gladwell, but you, you want to swim in the little bit deeper part of the pool, just a little bit. It's it's not crazy, um, but there's he does he and his team have done more research, done more studies. Uh, there's a lot more data driven analysis. Yeah, it's Gladwell for the residents of methodology. Corner. Yes, yes, exactly. It's still there's still some places where he makes some claims that are a little too declarative. For, and then he's like, and this happens be, and th- mm-hmm. this because it's, well, it's not because I mean that's a that's that could be, but but it's still a little bit more empirical. Um, 
than, than Gladwell and still very listenable, good anecdotes, things like that. So that's what I've been listening to. What have you been listening to? I'm listening to Gloria Steinem's memoir, My ah, Life on the Road, right. uh, which is like if you factory made a feminist travel memoir, <laughs> this is this is the one that I want. And it's a, it's about how she has spent more of her life, uh, her professional and personal life traveling over the last 40 years than being at home, than doing anything else. And most of that travel was, you know, around the country and around the world, giving lectures and organizing. But it's really about the role that being out in the world in so many different places has played in the development of who Gloria Steinem is. Uh, that when she was a young woman, she was traveling in India and she was on trains with um, in the cars that just had women in them, you know, talking to women, hearing their stories about their lives and thinking about sort of what, what power women talking to each other about their lives had. And she brought that sort of back to the States and then, you know, consciousness raising groups and talking circles came up in the early parts of, um, the contemporary women's movement in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s. She talks about that. She talks about, um, you know, how she became who she is. But there's just great stuff in there about the value of being out in the world of what travel does for your understanding of who people are, how the world functions, how different and how similar we are, how surprising travel can be, just the encounters that you have that open your eyes to experiences that you never even knew were possible, um, to the ways of life that you didn't know existed and that it just rang a bunch of my bells for that reason too but of course also she's Gloria Steinem and so hearing about her life and her work um, has been really interesting I'm not quite done with it yet I think I have a few hours left um, and my only complaint about it is that there's not enough Gloria Steinem on this audiobook like it's one of those where the author reads the introduction and mm. the prologue and then it switches over to a professional audiobook narrator and the narrator is very good but I got a taste of Gloria Steinem there in the first like 30 minutes of the audiobook and she did great like she's a great speaker and her reading of her own work was wonderful and so when it switched over I was a little sad of like but I, I, I wanted to actually hang with Gloria for mm -hmm. nine hours. <laughs> I've gone both ways on those. Author reads the intro and then you get the narrator. Sometimes I'm glad, sometimes I'm sad. I, yeah. I, th I think it's a coin flip most times for me. The one the one I listened to recently that I wanted, I, I remember the same feeling was Klosterman's um, But What If We're mm -hmm. Wrong? Just mm -hmm. because his particular writing voice, if he reads it, like I've listened to him on a few podcasts, like there's a real... I don't know, sort of uh, synergy is the wrong word, but like there's a real representation in the way he talks and his 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 mm. cadence and what he stresses and what he, he de-stresses that, that matters for the way he thinks. Um, so that's one that I missed for sure. There's another one I, I won't say that I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, 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 Please thank go you. away now. Oh, thank you so much. So go to uh, audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. You can get a free 30-day trial. Um, so let's do follow this. I mean, it's not even really follow up at this point. It's just like the ongoing tales of Barnes and Noble. Yeah. I mean, and then there, we have follow up to, to, for follow up for other stories too. But mm. so the Barnes and Noble drops its CEO, which means furred, right? That's drops. Yep. That's euphemism. Not a for, good fit. Not a good fit, which means you were terrible. Like, that's, that's yeah, like, this is, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the coldest cold, you know, without being cold, determined that Mr. Boire was not a good fit for the organization and that it was in the best interests of all parties for him to leave. Unceremoniously let go. Yeah. Um, is the TechCrunch language. That's a link in the show notes there. A tersely worded press release determined that Mr. <laughs> I don't know how you say this dude's name. B-O-I-R-E. Boire. Boire. Yeah. Bar was not a good fit for the organization that was in the best interest of all parties for him to leave. Um, so only been there a year. Remember, mm -hmm. we reported on a report. We don't do any reporting in the show. We talked about uh, <laughs> Len Riggio stepping yeah. down um, last summer, I guess. Um, but he's coming back indefinitely as executive chair, uh, executive chairman coming back as the temporary CEO, but there's no timeline, whatever. So I don't know that, you know, Corporate intrigue uh, on the board level can be very, very tricky to parse. Um, I don't, you know, who knows who has what kind of control. I'm assuming the board of directors for Barnes & Noble have pe people very close to Len Riggio. He's been there for a million years. If Riggio didn't like how this guy was doing it, you know, how hard is it for him to sort of say, you know what, dudes, I want to come back. Let's get rid of this guy. Was it about that? Was the guy really underperforming? They are going to look for somebody else external to the company. Or it's not Riggio himself. A million different ways. Suffice it to say, though, not a great sign. Not a great sign.
Certainly not good for Mr. Boire. Well, he probably has a golden parachute. I mean, you know, That's true. I, 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 usually the, the, the kinds of companies you've heard of and the CEO gets ousted, unless there's criminal negligence or something like that, <laughs> you know, because um, even the dude ails at Fox News, like yeah, it's, $40 million to see right. later. Um, <laughs> don't cry for me, Argentina uh, comes to mind. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, you don't like to see anyone get unceremonious like, oh, and especially if he was underperforming, maybe it's best for the company. Just very difficult to say. Do you remember um, where he came from? I don't remember I don't. where it Barnes and Noble here. It doesn't say here. From. Um, anyway, so, oh, Sears. Sears Canada. Sears. Just looking real quick. Interesting. It, I, maybe Sears Canada was a hot item. I, I don't think myself of, you know, we need a new CEO. Where should we go? Sears, I have to say, yeah, does like, it, it's not like a hot thing. I guess, you know, to some degree, retail is retail is retail, but then the world of book selling and publishing is so weird. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so idiosyncratic among industries, I think. And I might just think that because it's the one that I know the best. Uh, But it seems to me that if you're Sears, I'm like, Sears is what, mostly like appliances and home goods? Well, it's like, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a classic department store really yeah okay it's, it's yeah all, every, everything and nothing I, I mean i would have been interested if it's like you know we've heard interesting things about what indigo is doing so if they brought in like right. the ceo of indigo mm-hmm. or i'm trying to think of what you know h&m or ikea or like you know someone where you think is like they're really a vibrant modern yeah, so kind of innovative retail presence, yeah you know? uh you know someone who was uh the chief of retail for apple to come mm-hmm. bc I, I don't know um anyway so there we go uh they're out they're out. So not a great sign for Barnes & Noble. Be interesting Noble. to see who else they, who comes next. The collective nervousness about Barnes & Noble is um, not mollified by this kind of move. I think that's, no. that's fair to say. Um, uh, more more follow-up. Um, I mean, it's a Harry Potter world, and we're just living in it. For serious. And and it feels to me sometimes like we talk a little bit more about Harry Potter than, than we could. I mean, there's always news, and it's hard to know. But I, I think... I think I will assuage my own anxiety by just the sales suggest that maybe we should be talking about it all the time, you know, relative, because I got my my most recently published weekly came out with North American print sales um, for its first week. Mm -hmm. Do you know the number? The last one I heard was, I don't know if it was print only or if it was an overall number. The last number I heard was 3.3 million. That came after, that came out after this. This was Alexandra Alter, I think, tweeted that, um, who does the publishing news. That was up, that was this, that was the first week plus a few days. So yeah, 3.3 million in print. This first week was two and a half million. Hot damn, Harry Potter. Print copies, print alone, North America alone. So there's no eBooks, nothing else in the rest of the world and no audio, which I don't think there is an audio version. Um, I haven't seen one yet, no. Did you and I talk about that? I think so. I, rem- I remember. I, I'm getting a little confused now because, oh, heads up that um, Jack Bird from the Harry Potter, Alliance, Harry Potter Alliance and I did a 45-minute spoiler-filled Cursed Child, uh, Cursed Child post-mortem that's coming on Friday. So in this feed. It'll be in this feed. It's one of our special one-offs. It'll be in this feed before this show is. Oh, that's good. Yes, you're right. So you've already heard it. Um, so you already know. <laughs> we have like wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey yeah, things happening. Spe- uh, for, there's a lot of time-turners in Cursed Child, so it's not a surprise that I've gotten my, uh, temporal, uh, my temporal line screwed up. So, so here's the top 10 overall for sales last week in print titles. Okay. Harry Potter, 2.55 million. The next, the next one is Girl on the Train. With, of course. With 47,000. That girl is just going to be on that train forever. But, but I mean, seriously. Well, it did just come out in paperback. No, so. but, but the, the, the scale, though. It, it's insane. Harry Potter sold, for every copy of Girl on the Train sold, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child sold 50 copies last year. Mm-hmm. 50 copies. It sold, it sold 20 times more than the rest of the top the 10 next- combined. I just did the math before the show. Uh, that's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm substantially taller than you are, mm-hmm. but I would need to be about 200 <laughs> feet tall to, to represent, like, Just, you have to stand next to the Sears Tower almost. The, <laughs> the orders of Harry Potter magnitude are just... It, it's a staggering number. Oh, that's book eight, Harry Potter and the Order of Magnitude. Harry, Harry Potter and the Order of Magnitude. Um, when it's just a bunch of like really out of scale people, like wizards that have just like really out of scale powers. Um... <laughs> So, I, you know, I don't know what to say about it, except, I, I, 
there's not, I mean, there, you look at the sales for other titles for the year, the big sellers, like up to and this point, the best selling title of the year, which is so weird in its own right, was Oh, the Places You'll Go, which always sells really mm-hmm. well. And it sold, and it had sold 486,000 copies in print. So already, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child in its first week has 5X'd the best selling book of the year. <laughs> uh, and it's 30, bu- and I mean, in terms of revenue, it's $30. It is unbelievable. It's I, I hate the price. Like, I hate the price oh, of the book. Yeah, the pricing, not cool. And I it's mean, just, whatever. Price it the same as a hardcover, twenty six you know, ninety nine. But to, and a little that little three dollar twist of the knife really bothers me. For a play. For a play. For a play. Uh, yeah, I I think what you said at the top of this segment is right that we should just maybe be talking about Harry Potter all the time because there's always a new development and the Harry Potter fatigue can seem real or like, is this overload? Are we saturated with Harry Potter content in the run up to the cursed child? And then right after the cursed child came out, Amanda and I had to tell the book riot contributors, like we cannot take any more Harry Potter content because we're running like at least one thing a day. And that's a lot of Harry Potter content. But if the sales are an indication and if our contributors level of interest is an indication of how long Mm -hmm. excitement about Harry Potter can be sustained, we're also, we're just on this train. We're going to yeah. be on the Hogwarts Express from now until forever. So, so week over weeks, uh, year over year sales for the equivalent week last year, 2016 over 2015, Publisher Weekly says up 90%. So that means that basically Cursed Child almost sold as much in what by itself last week as, as all everything the book else. sales did last week or last year. <laughs> last all, year. All, of the, all of the same uh, year, a week over, oh. year over year sales were the same week, uh, uh, a two spot. The That's whole publishing bananas. industry. Like, it's going to move the needle for the whole industry for the year. We talked about last week that the whole indus- uh, bookstore mm-hmm. sales were up 6.1%, something like that. Yeah. I wonder how it's going to do, you know, just overall. Like, I, this is not quite the scale of the, you know, everybody in Random House gets a bonus thanks to Fifty Shades of Grey. But this is not insignificant. Oh, I, I think it might be more than that. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. What what did Fifty Shades sell in its first year? And, I, mean, I think it was like $25 million. Oh, was it that many? It was big. That was that many. Yeah, okay. I, I don't think it would be like that. I guess the thing that will be interesting to see next week is like, what's the drop-off look like? Because, yeah. you know, Maybe do we have twi- a gray ghost at a Watchmen situation, yeah, a lot right. of pent-up demand? Right. Now um, I'm second-guessing. Maybe not $25 million. I do remember that, well, that everybody like got like... Five grand. Like five, they got five yeah, grand. Yeah, everybody yeah. got five grand. It was a lot. It was many millions. It was a lot. I, and Schol- though Scholastic's also a lot smaller of a company than sure. Random House, so you have fewer employees to deal right. with there. And Scholastic may be more used to these big breakouts mm-hmm. because they've had Harry Potter and they had the Hunger Games and like not their first time at the like blockbuster children's book rodeo. As you might have heard Jack and I say, since um, we're now in the right Now we figured here. out where we're we are the right in time. Timeline. Um, I think it will sell okay, not great. It's definitely not, you know, our, I'm uh, my my you know thumbnail review is I'm glad it exists. Um, I'm not going to be reading it ten thousand times, um, but it's certainly a better experience than Ghost at a Watchman. Like especially mm-hmm. for what it is, it's more pleasurable, it's more interesting, it's more fun. You know, it's not as cringe inducing. There's some weird things or whatever, but on the whole, it's a more positive, I think, reading experience. Um, then Ghost of the Watchman is, I didn't read Grey. I don't know what the reaction was. There. That, that, one, that one with a whimper, not a bang. <clears throat> Excuse the, the <laughs> metaphor for Grey. I mean, we didn't hear people talking about that well, one at all. Uh, no, I, we didn't. Uh-huh. I bought that one and because I was like, well, if everyone's going to talk about it, then I'll read it since I read Fifty Shades of Grey. But there was just no talk about it. And right. so I, I have also spared myself that cringe so far. Um, continuing the Harry yes. Potter follow-up, there was new news new, about new Harry news. Potter. New, new news. Uh, that Pottermore is releasing three new Harry Potter, three new Hogwarts ebooks um, in September. And they're being released not just through Pottermore because they finally are not doing that, but through <laughs> they realize iBooks. that's terrible. Right, through Amazon and iBooks and, you know, your other Barnes & Noble. All of your ebook retailers will have them. Um, but so this Pottermore Presents is the new series, bite-sized ebooks that dig deep into the Harry Potter stories with tidbits that have been taken from Pottermore's archives. So some of it's not original content, but then also original writing from J.K. Rowling, the series, which is confusing. And this the story broke yesterday um, from when we're recording. And then this morning, there's been a lot of like sort of stressing out on Twitter about like exactly how much of this is going to be new and not new. And Pottermore is trying to clarify 
clarify, but they're just, it seems to be muddying the waters instead of um, clarifying exactly what this is going to be. Um, but the series offers Harry Potter fans added insights into the stories, settings, and characters, and they were all lovingly curated by Pottermore. Um, the covers have beautiful designs. You can see those at the link we'll have in the show notes. The three ebooks are going to drop on September 6th, just in time for the new term at Hogwarts. Um, and each explores a different Hogwarts related theme. There's Hogwarts, an incomplete and unreliable guide that looks at the nooks and crannies of the school, uh, details of the ghosts, what happens when the, the sorting hat can't decide on a student's house. Then there's short stories from Hogwarts of power politics and pesky poltergeists uh, about the darker roots of the wizarding world. You'll learn about the troubles that face the Ministry of Magic, the horrors of Azkaban prison, and enjoy an entirely new original piece of writing by J.K. Rowling on Horace Slughorn. And then the final one is short stories from Hogwarts. Who cares? Anyway. I know. Of heroism. (laughs) Like of the most obscure Uh side characters, really. Uh, The last one is short stories from Hogwarts of heroism, hardship, and dangerous hobbies. Oy, with the alliteration already. (laughs) Oy, with the poodles. Oy, with Uh, the Pottermore celebrates the colorful staff of Hogwarts. There's more to discover about the Caramagical Creatures teacher, Sylvanus Kettleburn, as well. And there's another obscure one, uh, as well as another new piece of writing about Minerva McGonagall. So now I'm interested. This is the one I'm going to buy. Mm-hmm. And her involvement in the second second Wizarding War. You're going to need to talk now because my tongue is all kinds of tongue. I would say that's an excellent <laughs> job on your part, even with my my um, <laughs> my guttural side eye, I think is a, a term we've coined on this show before. Yep. I mean, you know, Jack and I, again, I keep referencing that, like, it's a transitional time for the Harry Potter world, um, and, and it's an experiment. I'm not sure we've seen something like this where, you know, we have a living, we have the living author, you know, that's moving away from the main heart of the series, is not abandoning it, is not abandoning it, you know, it's not saying, you know, I'm done, and so then it's sort of, the canon is set, the books are what they are, she seems interested either for financial reasons or creative reasons or emotional reasons, some reason she's still invested in for doing reasons it. she's still invested in doing it and and this this tactic is these dribs and i mean tidbit is that in the press release like yeah that is what we're getting we're getting tidbits like cursed child is like a big tidbit it's like an appetizer right i mean it's an experience mm-hmm. it's not an entree um it, it's just as it's it's interesting but also frustrating at the same time and i I wonder how long this can last. Um, you know, how do you keep the fandom alive without big new media installments? And I guess the Fantastic Beats, Beast, I keep saying Beats, Fantastic Beasts <laughs> movie will be the next big um, tentpole pieces that are real large parts of the canon. But these interstitial pieces, I don't know, it's hard to know what to think. But I, I, I know that people who are really, really into Harry Potter, and I am not, I'm a, I'd say I'm a good casual fan. Um, they're going to eat this stuff up. But for a casual fans, like, do I want to read about a short story about McGonagall? Yeah, you like, don't, what? I don't want to, I don't know. I guess the story there though, is there are enough like big, hardcore Harry Potter fans to make it worth making these. Or well, they I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. Right. We'll find out. Uh, to try selling, to try selling this stuff. Cause I would have guessed that Cursed Child being a play would mean that the like, you know, only the more really excited fans were going to mm. pick it up or like the the super excited fans. And then maybe like the first chunk of casual, like good casual fans. But that's it's just a different reading experience. It's not that novel you're going to sink into ebooks that are just mm-hmm. released this way is also another thing. Like maybe they've just concluded, you know what? Our diehard audience is big enough that even if we just serve them, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Keep keep. I mean, because also, also they have maybe they need just cold to put on the Pottermore fire. Like if you're not doing yeah. new stuff, what what reason do people have to come to the website? You can only get sorted into your house so many times, right? Um, and if you're getting a different one every time, that's also a weird <laughs> problem. So <laughs> it, it, it's they've got a business problem, I think, that they're trying to solve with these tidbit things. Um, that just becomes I don't know. I think there's some fatigue. There's some sort of like expanded universe fatigue going on with yeah. me. So, but maybe maybe there's enough, and the 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 true believers will buy it, and they love it, and it, it's fuels for their blogs and tumblers, and they talk, and great. If, if that's enough for them, great. I, you know, it doesn't have to be for me for it to exist. I'm just right, right. I just don't know. 
um, what the ongoing appetite for these little dribs and drabs will yeah, be. Yeah, let us know if you're going to be yeah. picking these up on September 6th or if you were so stoked about the announcement that you've already pre-ordered them. Podcast at bookriot.com. Podcast at bookriot.com. Um, let's do a little more sales information because the oh, yeah, other... You teased me I with teased this you one. with this one a little bit is... Um, Colson Whitehead, this was also the first week of full sales, um, for the Underground Railroad. And it had, for literary fiction, you get no more launch week boost than this. Um, a, a pick from Oprah, mm-hmm. early release, and all the publicity around, around the pick, but also that it was a special new release, moved up, surprise drop. And then also, I'm not sure we talked about this in the show, a special standalone section in the New York Times of an excerpt uh, of the Underground Railroad. Which I, to my knowledge, uh, as as long as I've been as someone who pays attention to these sorts of things, has not happened. Yeah, I haven't um, seen that. You get sometimes get excerpts in the magazines and things like that. Uh, uh, there was um, there was a short. They commissioned some original short stories really recently that appeared in the book review section. But in terms of a big chunk, sixteen thousand words, um, as a standalone section of the New York Times book review. Uh, I haven't heard of it. I'd love to know the politicking of how that happens. I assume it's not paid for. Did they do it? Did did um, let's see? It's a double day title, mm-hmm. which is Random House. Did, did Random House give it to them for free? Did New York Times have to pay for it? Did Random House throw in something? You know, is it basically the largest sponsored content in the world, uh, in the books world? I can't imagine that it would have been worth it to do that. But all those things combined, um, and also I should say, not instinctively, really good pre pub buzz. Yep. Um, Underground Railroad, and so we have sales. Tell me, tell me. I mean, do you want to guess? This is this no. is this is this is Publishers Weekly print only, U.S. only. So there's all all standard caveats apply. Oh, print only, U.S. only. Mm-hmm. Got an Oprah boost. I don't know. Well, One hundred and fifty thousand. No, no, you know it's less than forty-seven thousand because I told you, Girl in the Train was number two bestseller last week. Oh, okay, yeah, right, yeah, okay, yeah. I forgot that number. So, so it's, it's less, less than, than forty-seven. 47 so right there, you know that. Okay, yeah. let's go with. 38,000. 17,547 copies. Okay. I mean... I mean, this is a reminder about what what like, I know. books is like, right? I In know. the world of media. I, I mean, that is... It's not a disaster, but for all no. of that... I mean, that is... Right, right. That is a hell of a good launch for a literary fiction title. Mm-hmm. But like... To get that kind of launch as a literary fiction title, you need to be Colson Whitehead with Oprah on your side. I mean, just as an example, like Truly Madly Guilty by Lane Moriarty was in its second week of publication, and it sold 17,000 last week. In the first mm-hmm. week, it sold 35,000. Underground Railroad debuted at number three on the hardcover, um, adult hardcover chart. Um, I mean, it, and maybe, you know, maybe the Oprah pick, you get a long tail. You know, I, I don't know. Oh, probably. Uh, any things else going up, but 17,000. You know, Emma Klein, uh, The Girls, is still holding on number 10 yeah, in they- hardcover. It sold 7,742. It sold 105,000 to date. Like, it's like this is the thing about literary fiction yeah. is that it's hard, like, That's real hard. literary fiction is hard to sell. And we hear it from publishers that it's hard to sell because even with an Oprah stamp on it, mm-hmm. you're like, this is a, like, it, the language of the novel is not difficult to read, but the subject matter is heavy. There's emotionally difficult stuff in the Underground Railroad. So yep. you're asking people, spend $26, $27 for your new hardcover. Mm-hmm. You know, at least that's the list price uh, to give several hours of your life to a difficult story about a woman running away from slavery. Right. Right. And unless you're a reader who, you know, is is, is thinking about race and wants to read essentially historical fiction like that that's a tough sell Mm -hmm. it's a fantastic book but it's a tough sell um yeah you have to be in it for art reasons not necessarily entertainment reasons which is fine which is fine yeah yeah. we want room for that art reasons are good reasons reasons to read but it is much harder to sell a book that's an art reasons book um to especially a casual reader than it is to sell an entertainment reasons book to a casual reader, which I think, you know, there's that divide Mm -hmm. um, between this and the Leanne Moriarty. And it'll be interesting when Underground Railroad comes out in paperback, especially things that are picked for book clubs and that are Mm. great for discussion. They tend to like really surge in paperback. That's a good point. A really good point. And it also drives home the point, which I, which I, we know is that Harry Potter is not a book publishing world thing. It's a world culture, pop culture thing that just happens to have its initial form in books, mm-hmm, right? right. It's, it, the, the sales numbers alone just say that this is some other kind of being that 
luckily for Scholastic and publishing and bookstores, you know, starts as a, a book. It starts in mm-hmm. text. It starts in prose. And, you know, the movie of Fantastic Beasts, man, I cannot say that, is, you know, <laughs> it's skipping the book world. You know, that's, yeah. you know, one thing is it's it's leapfrogging the book world. And so it's the book world, the publishing world, Scholastic and all, you know, up and, up and down the chain is not going to get that initial piece of the pie. Uh, it so happens that with theater, you know, it's very hard to scale, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where movies, you know, it, it's built to scale and be released all at the same time. New, and novels are built to scale. And it just so happens that it started as a book first and it became a huge global pop phenomenon. And luckily, um, I think luckily for us, because we get to talk about it and, you know, we can write content about it and everything else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Underground Railroad is a book thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a book. That's it a book is a world. book thing. Um, um, it's a good, healthy dose of perspective, too, for yeah. people who are like, I'm going to write my debut novel and get rich. Oh, I know. Oh, um, I know. So, and that takes us. You I think you told me. Yes. They, they had a couple of um, they had a couple of uh, they did some historical comparisons to Whitehead's other novels first week release. Um the Apex Hide the Hurt, Sag Harbor, and Zone One, okay. which I think are the three most recent. Before that, it was John Henry Days, and then uh, The Intuitionist, and then yeah, there's two. Yeah, and non-fiction. Apex Hides the Hurt is like the one that even big Whitehead fans tend to sometimes. Yeah, I've discount. read it and I like it, but it's a it's a curio- it's it, yeah. it's a strange thing, a little experimental satirical piece. Tone is weird, whatever. Um, but that one sold 505 copies its first week in print in 2006. So he did what thirty four thousand, not thirty four thousand, thirty four times yeah, the first yeah, week yeah. for the Underground Railroad. Yep, um, Sag Harbor in two thousand nine, very readable, a good summertime mm-hmm. book, a very popular. It's book. is it? Well, I can't remember now. I think it, it's not. Is it pitched exactly as a memoir, or is it a novel that's basically? It's a like thinly buildings, veiled bim- yeah, memoir. Yeah, yeah. that's Build- old twenty. Is buildings Roman the Buildings Roman. Term? Yeah, is that the right term? Romana well, Buildings Roman Somehow. is a novel of education. Romana Clef is uh, like a series of stories. Anyway, right. I mean, okay. it's a coming of age, but yeah. it's only one. It's It happens, it's, you know, basically over a couple of summers where families vacationing in Sag Harbor and this community of black people that are all vacationing together, sort of middle class, upper middle class black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting stuff. That was 2,200 copies. So four times okay. better mm-hmm. than 2006. Zone one then doubled that. Okay. Uh, 4,400. Man, there was so much pre-pub buzz around Zone 1. So I guess that's an interesting, Mm -hmm. to me, that's the most interesting data point. Because like by the time Zone 1 comes out, Colson Whitehead is well known. Yeah, There's a lot of buzz around Zone 1 for the kind of book that it is. And for the fact that Colson Whitehead, this literary writer, is doing a zombie novel. Mm -hmm. And it does 4,000. And we sort of have an AB universe there because I feel like the the pre-pub buzz around Underground Railroad was roughly equivalent to what it was around Zone 1. Do you think, does that feel right to you? Kind of. I think it had the same element of um, this is going to be one of the best books of the year that mm-hmm. everyone's going to be talking about. But Underground Railroad had the extra element of this is a very important book. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, if you throw on a 20 percent, 20% special sauce for that, you know, let's say that added 20% to the sales, then it's looking at five fifty five hundred. You know, mm-hmm. can we call Oprah, New York Times, can we call that 10,000 worth of copies? Hard, you know, there's, again, yeah, there's no, hard to, know. hard to know, but um, at least it's it's somewhat equivalent. Because um, I, I remember even saying at that time that I thought Zone 1 would be the breakout book. Like, I thought it would be a big mm-hmm. deal. And it just wasn't. It was okay. You know, I, I have no idea what his advance or whatever, but, you know, it probably sold 25,000 copies in hardback and a bunch more in paperback and, you know, whatever. Um, but 17,000 copies, like it, the railroad's going to have to pick up some steam for that to be one of the 10 best selling literary fiction mm-hmm. titles of the year. Yeah. And I think it's interesting thinking about what breakout, how the way that we consider and talk about breakout books as well. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of think of, OK, breakout is like the thing that takes you from being someone who's known in the book world to being someone who's kind of a household name among readers mm-hmm. um, that somebody could mention you at dinner and everybody would know who you were. And it's an open question for me, I think, if Underground Railroad is going to do that as well. Like this is a it's a terrific book. Oprah's talking about it. But if you go back and look at historical like the historical selections that Oprah has chosen um, and look at some of those names, there are people who like they, you know, sort of they had a big Oprah moment. They had a big blip, but they either didn't put another book out after that or the book they put out after that didn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. They did not become like, it's not a guaranteed pathway. It's a, to, she can make a book. I don't know that she can make a career. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm, 
Yeah, because the, the thing that I think the Underground Railroad lacks, uh, and I read it this week, it's excellent, wonderful, uh, really, really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to do a close read of the first sentence just for fun because mm. I'm trying to find a way of writing about it without writing about it. Yeah. Um, the thing that it lacks is, am I going to recommend it a whole bunch? Mm. You know, am I going to sort of unsolicitedly say, oh, man, it's – I mean, it, I will say it's great, but will I go out of my way – because it's tough. It's like going out of your way to recommend Beloved. Like you sort of don't do, I mean, you, you, you champion for right, it. Like, but like if someone says, you know, what should I read? And I'm going to be like, am I going to say yeah, the Underground Railroad? Or am I going to say, you know, what I've been saying recently is Sleeping Giants, just for example. Because it's fun. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a little bit different. It's light. It's, it, but, and I certainly will say, and, you know, I've had uh, my, my friend Kamali texted me. He's like, okay, so give me the scoop on the Underground Railroad. Is it good? Mm. Should I read it? I'm like, if you're interested, yes, it's totally awesome. But will it be sort of un- solicitedly recommended by the people like us who 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 read it does it have the word of mouth thing especially sort of in the world of book clubs right where it has that lateral uh, mm-hmm. rhizomic um, movement from person to person I just don't know that it has the right DNA for that yeah it's you know that's a that's a really good point because the word of mouth thing requires either some knowledge of who you're recommending to yeah. and so like I can recommend Underground Railroad to a certain type of reader yeah um, or it re- it requires that the book be sort of a universal fit, like what we call the Swiss Army. Swiss pick. Army wreck, yeah. And I think that Sleeping Giants is a Swiss is like it's a kind of Swiss Army pick. It's mm-hmm. in the same vein of a, it's you know not the same kind of book, but it's for the same reasons that I say that the Ann Patchett essay collection, mm-hmm. this is the story of a happy marriage, is a Swiss Army pick. Like it's easy to read, it's a fun read, it's thoughtful, it's a little bit different, and also it's totally safe. Yeah. Um, and Underground Railroad, not a totally safe book to recommend to someone who's reading tastes and who's politics and who's, you know, like level of wokeness for lack of mm-hmm. a better term. Um, you're well, not really in their stomach for art a, writing. I mean, I think that's yeah, what it is for me. It's like, like the stomach for art writing is, is a mm-hmm. thing like just among the whitehead um, corpus. I, I still, I think would recommend the intuitionist more unreservedly mm. than the underground railroad. I think mm. um, just looking at the, the body of work right now, because it's a little more, it's a little more, spe- I mean, it's, it's a little more sci-fi. Um, it's, it's, it's political message is, you know, allegor- allegorized. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It has a little bit more something of like, yeah, this is super interesting. Check this out. I just don't know the Underground Railroad has that quality where I'm going to be dying to recommend it. Um, and maybe, frankly, maybe I should be more, proactive in recommending difficult things. My own recommending aside, I think I can say, though, with more certainty that the larger recommending body of book readers at large won't recommend it, sides, you know, person to person, not word, um, reader to reader. I just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, if it becomes, though, like a, the cause celebrity becomes a thing, like if you're a reader, you should read this book, that kind of has its, uh, a life of its own sometimes. You know, if it wins a Pulitzer... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a couple other things could happen. Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't read anything else this year, fiction-wise, that I think is going to contend no, for the Pulitzer and the National Book Award the way that this book is going mm-hmm. to. Um, it's been... Like we were, I think it, you and I were talking about what 2016 has been like mm-hmm. in books so far, and it hasn't been a bad year no. in books, but I think pound for pound, there have been fewer really amazing novels this year yeah. than there were last year. This time in 2015, it was like, okay, we've read a bunch, we've had a bunch of great novels already. The fall has a huge lineup. Mm-hmm. What on earth is going to be in the finals for the Pulitzer or the National Book Award? And I I just don't feel that way as a re- I've read great books, but just f- many fewer great books this and, year that, and, are, that were above and beyond. And say what you will, I mean, about the quality, if you liked Girl on the Train or The Nightingale or not, but those were steamrollers for sales last year. I mean, those were huge, huge, multi-million sales. And there's nothing in literary fiction that's even one-tenth of that this year. So there's also that kind of inertia yeah. as well. And and um, the Whitehead comes into that. So, you know, it, it's a really interesting piece. And, you know, I don't think Underground Railroad needs to sell a ton. to. It's already a success. It's already a monument mm-hmm. um, yeah. to, in my mind. So I, I do want to make that clear that it's not a failure by any stretch of no, the imagination. No, no. It's like it's an incredible book. Yeah, it's just this, this bridge into commerce is a different thing. Like it's a it's, different part of the puzzle. And it just, it's an important book. And often the important books are not the ones that are fun to yep. read. Mm-hmm. And that element of like fun slash enjoyment, 
I think really looms large in the game of person to person book recommending. Um, so you're, I, Beloved is an apt comparison. I think the writing in Beloved is more arty yeah. than the writing in um, in the Underground Railroad, which is not to say the Underground Railroad is not artful. It's just that nobody else is Toni Morrison mm-hmm. um, and trying to do what she well, why did hasn't in even Beloved. Trying to do, the, that's a different thing. Oh, yeah, yeah no, yeah. he's not. It's a totally different game that he's playing. His But the subject matter is mm-hmm. difficult. Um, he looks directly at it in the way that, you know, Toni Morrison does that in Beloved, what, what the experience of slavery was. It's not an easy thing to read. And so you've got to be in it for reasons other than fun. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of readers are driven by reasons of fun, which is a 100% valid reason yeah. to read. It just makes the recommending game a little bit different for them. I think you're right. Like this, the book is an, a, a huge accomplishment and I can't, I don't know what else is going to contend with it. Like if you're anybody else writing literary fiction this mm-hmm. year, you're probably like, well, yep. You know, at least it's I like, can it's hope. It's like you're in the final like, of Usain Bolt. You're like, you know what? Right, exactly. No, exactly. That's exactly what oh, I was just going to say. Is, yeah, like, or you're racing Michael Phelps, right. like, or you're swimming against Katie Ledecky at this point. Like, I, I'm just going to try to get the silver right. this year. Like, if you can get the silver medal in the year that Colson Whitehead writes The Underground Railroad, you're still doing really good. But, like, nobody, I just don't think anybody else is going to contend also, or, for the Or, like, being, I'm going to have the second best selling book of 2016. Right, because, exactly. Uh, J.K. Ledecky has lapped you uh, 40, 40 times. Uh, <laughs> she has just set the world record by like 19 body <laughs> Yeah, lengths. right. Uh, she actually swam across the Pacific and you're in the <laughs> kiddie pool. So just do what you can. Um, you know, Andrew Wiley, I read, a, when, I read an interview with him, not too recently, but um, relatively recently, an early one about his philosophy of title acquisitions. Oh, interesting. And his was about, he wants books that will sell forever. So mm-hmm. he went, you know, he went and tried to get, he, and he, I think he poached, and I, I could be getting this wrong. I'm sorry if I'm besmirching the good name of Andrew Wiley, but I think he went and got like Rushdie and Roth. And he's like, these yeah. guys, they may not be the top of the bestseller list, but they're going to sell for the next 40 years. Now, what will be interesting is if we look at BookScan in 20 years, um, is the Underground Ro- Railroad still selling? Because that's the thing that art writing sometimes has, that mm-hmm. your girl on the train's your nightingales may not have. They're, they're going to sell, mm-hmm. but in the in the in the in the long game of of fiction, you know, I don't know. It, when it's it hard has to say. the, I think it has the potential to be a classroom selection. Like I was yeah. tweeting last night. Oh yeah, I finished um, Michael Denzel Smith's. Uh, memoir, Invisible Man, got the whole world watching that I picked up at Powell's and we talked about on the last show. And I think it stands alongside the ta Coates and Jesmyn Ward and Margot Jefferson. And the Underground Railroad sort of stands on that same shelf, but as the fiction pick that looks at the history of race in the country um, that contemporary writers are doing. So you could, you could like, you've got an interesting syllabus there, but if you're a teacher of, you know, like black studies or black fiction, or you're doing contemporary American fiction Mm -hmm. and you don't want to ignore race, the underground railroad is a really nice natural fit for that kind of syllabus. And I think it's going to be the like standard bearer could be there for for a while. Yeah. Um, we better do our next sponsor. Tell yeah, us we about do. Our next we sponsor. have uh, The Unseen World by Liz Moore is our next sponsor this week. This is about a girl named Ada. She is raised by her brilliant but socially inept father. He directs a computer science lab in the 1980s in Boston. Ada is homeschooled and she accompanies her father to work every day. So uh, by the age of 12, she's painfully shy. She's also a prodigy. The lab that her dad works at begins to gain acclaim at the same time that her father's mysterious history comes into question. His mind begins to falter. This leaves Ada virtually an orphan. So she's taken in by one of his colleagues. And soon after that, she embarks on a mission to uncover her father's secrets. What Ada discovers on her journey will keep you riveted until the book's heart-stopping conclusion. Um, so you got 1980s Boston. Even as a teenager, Ada knows that something's not quite right with her dad. Um, she's super intelligent. She spends a lot of time with him. And she starts to see his memory go. She starts to see that he's 
unable to care for her. And as she's growing up, she's wondering what her dad's life was really like before she was born and setting out to, you know, sort of solve the mystery of that. And she realizes that a software program that he wrote might contain some hints Mm. of it. Um, Liberty talked about this book the week that it was released on all the books and said it was uh, one of her favorite novels of the year so far. I've been hearing just really phenomenal things about it. Uh, So, you know, sort of family secrets, a little mystery, Mm. a touch of uh, history and computer science development. I like, you know, that 80s era uh, computer history stuff. So I'm going to be picking this up again. It's called The Unseen World. It's by Liz Moore. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Right, let's do one more story. We we went into that. So let's do one yeah. one or two more stories. We got um, to talk about Wattpad. Yeah, let's do Wattpad. You want to do that first? You want to do the the best cities in the world for book lovers first? Ooh, let's start? play. Well, you know, I already failed at the Colson Whitehead guessing game. So let's just roll on. Let's just and uh, roll snake eyes I will eyes fail again. to guess. Yep. <laughs> um, we've, I think we've talked about this every year. World Cities Culture Forum every year collects information on how people consume culture around the world. Um, and one thing they do is basically divide populations by the number of bookstores for big cities around the world and come up with a ratio, like basically bookstores per 100,000 people, libraries per 100,000 people, and rank them. So so the, I have in front of me, and you haven't seen this, the top 18 <laughs> uh, cities for libraries and bookstores. Libraries and bookstores. So okay. there's, they're broken out. So there's one for bookstores and one for oh, libraries. okay. Yeah, you want, I mean, well. All right. Do, I mean, how do you even, so, I don't even know what to ask you. The only place I know to go with this per capita uh-huh. business is Hey on Why. Is that on the list? Oh, no. That's not on the list, but that's a really – I think these are people – these are cities with more than 100,000 people. Oh, Because okay. Hey and Why is like 40 people. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, Hey and Why is this, is this little – it's like known as the town of bookstores. And there's like 50 little bookstores in this mm-hmm. little town and become it's its own like travel destination. Um, you know, little stalls and, and storefronts. Uh, but that's the thing. Really good guess. I think probably in, empirically like you would have Wales? to be right if every city yeah. in the world. But these are for big cities, big, <sighs> like cities that could host the Olympic Games size cities. You know what I'm talking oh, about. The Olympics of reading. Olympics of reading. I'm here for that. Uh, oh, God. I have no idea. Let's see. Um, New York is never at the top of these bookstore lists per capita. So I'm going to skip New York. Mm-hmm. Is it on the top 18? It is. It's not New number York. one, is okay, it? Okay, no, no, it's not. It's number six, though. <laughs> it's number six. And it has um, 10 bookstores per 100,000 people. 10 bookstores per 100,000. And that comes out to be 840 bookstores in New is, York City. Is the number one city in the United States not. or not? New York is it the is number not. one for the United States. Oh, so the top nine are not in the United I'm States. I'm sorry, it's six. It's Did I say Oh, six. Yeah, six. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the top five are not in the United States. Um, London? London clocks in at number 15, <laughs> which, which actually, when I linked to Critical Linking, that's the comparison I made. I was surprised that London has less than half the number of bookstores per yeah. capita as New York. Um, they, London only has 360 bookstores. Okay. Global cities that are like... It's, I don't know. This is really hard. I don't know what else Heads of intellectualism. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't even know how to yeah, start. Yeah, it's really this tricky. Um, I'm just going to start naming like large Europeans. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way to know. Uh, I Paris. think I think because you and I are not great travelers of Asia, we we, oh, we okay. have a big blind spot here because three of the yeah, we were... three of the top five are Asian cities. Number the one, Shinsky O'Neill geopolitical yeah, yeah problem. No. Um, Hong Kong has 21 okay. bookstores for every hundred thousand people, and there are a lot of people in Hong Kong. There are a uh, lot of many. bookstores in Hong Kong. Good job, Hong Kong. And Taipei is number two, seventeen point okay. six. Madrid, uh, number three, sixteen Madrid. bookstores. Then Shanghai, Toronto, New York, Sydney, Paris, Seoul, Austin, Texas. Hey, number 10, good job. Melbourne, Shenzhen, China, Amsterdam, Moscow, London, Stockholm, Singapore, and Istanbul. And Istanbul, number 18, it has, you know, it has one bookstore for every 100,000 people. I was going to guess Istanbul somewhere. But quite a on the spread list. there. Hong Kong that has is, 20 times the bookstores per capita as the number 18. You know, wow. there's, a real, there's a real power curve um, mm-hmm. there. So there's that. Within libraries, um, I'm going to be even less good at this and game. And even a bigger spread. I'll tell you that the number one city has 60 libraries per 100,000 people. Okay. And then the number uh, 18 spot has 
0.5. So there's a 120x <laughs> spread between one and, and uh, one and 18. I just got nothing. I don't have any idea even how to start yeah, guessing about letters. So you need what, like, you there's need good taxes, overlap. like Stockholm? <laughs> yeah, you need, yeah, you need a socialist country. That's a really good guess. Edinburgh. Okay. Number one was 60.5 library. That is a All right. lot of Libraries. Are they? Is this all libraries? Like, do academic and research libraries count, or is this you know, all just public let me libraries? See. Uh, public libraries. Okay. Public libraries. Now, I don't know. I don't know if university libraries in other countries are public. You know, oh, you know, right. if they don't okay, have that's private a good question. schools like we do here um, stateside. Uh, so, number one is Edinburgh, sixty point five, a huge drop off. Warsaw, number two, with eleven point four. So, huh. Edinburgh has five t- more than five times the number of public libraries for hundred thousand person people as the number two spot. Is Reykjavik on this list? Reykjavik is not. That's a really good guess. Do they really have enough guess. people in Reykjavik? I, I don't know. I don't know. Don't know the answer to that. Uh, Iceland w- is so bookish. Warsaw, Brussels, Paris, Seoul, Shenzhen, okay. Vienna, Hong Kong, London, Moscow, Toronto. Melbourne, Amsterdam, Sydney, New York. So I think did I so New York is the the top rated um city in the US also for libraries per hundred thousand people. Okay. Taipei, Rome, Singapore, Istanbul, uh Dubai. Good to see Toronto show up on Toronto. both of those. Toronto and New York for North America. Um you're not seeing here on either list, I don't see at first glance I am I I don't see any African or South American countries. So we do I think have something to look at in terms of mm-hmm. um uh, global, you know, GDP, um, Asia, Europe, and then a little bit of, of the North America thrown in. Interesting. Interesting. And just an absolute failure on my part. There's, I it's mean, fine. how are you supposed to know? It's very difficult to know something like this. I guess Some if you're looking you're for the all-around winner, um, Hong Kong, because they're number eight for libraries and number one for bookstores, so one plus eight. Nine divided by two. So they average a 4.5 showing on each okay. scale. So Hong Kong, um, someplace that we need to check out, I guess. We need to learn more yeah. about the book, the book worlds in Hong Kong. Um, there's that story. All right. Tell it. Let's go. Wattpad. And then we'll wrap up the show. You want to do the, do, do the yes. overview? Yeah. Oh, somehow I lost my link. Hang on. Okay. I'm clicking. Okay. I'm clicking on a thing. Clicking on. So Wattpad, we've talked about Wattpad on and off for the last couple of years and wondered, you know, what was going to happen over there. They have created an incredible audience and a community for writers and for readers. Um, and just especially in developing countries where access to print books is really limited, they have tons and tons of users who are, you know, using the Wattpad app to read ebooks and to connect. So they have announced this week an ad generate an ad generated revenue program for their writers. Uh, I think this is the first mm-hmm. program that Wattpad has introduced for their writers to make money from the work that they're putting up there. Um, ads will be placed every few chapters in selected works and will appear every thirty minutes during a reading session. So they're essentially in beta. They've invited 100 writers to be part of the test. And um, let's see, Ashley Gardner, who's the head of partnerships at Wattpad Studios, um, said that, uh, let's see, some of the writers are earning between $1,000 and $2,000 a month from this. Hmm. Um, so Wattpad, this Wattpad Futures, and they claim 40 million visitors to the site each month. So not insignificant God. by any stretch of internet traffic. Um, 40 million visitors to the site e- each month. And now they're going to use that to generate some revenue that they can share with the writers who are propping up the community. So they're planning on working directly with some advertising partners so that there will be ads that are literary and book related. Um, they want to eventually provide revenue for a larger number of authors than mm. in their previously launched program. That's right, because they had Wattpad Stars, yep. which I don't remember exactly what that was. And they've had Wattpad brand stories. Um, but this is for a much larger pool, hopefully open to pro- providing payments for thousands of writers. You know, it's blogger for fiction. You know, yeah. that's what it is. It's interesting. I think I'm considering – talk about power law. I'm sure the the curve on that is going to be very, very, very disproportionately mm-hmm. – you know, the winners are going to win. But even 2000 a month for the number one earner on Wattpad doesn't seem like a lot to me. I mean, as an absolute number, but that's the top end for the a size of – I mean, that's a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, and maybe since it's a pilot program, there's a cap on it because they don't have a good ad flow or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it's an interesting model for fiction, you know, yeah, that you going know. down. I think I wrote a piece for Bookwright a million years ago 
about, you know, is there a few, is there a way in which at some point fiction is like TV in that, you know, you get it for free, but you trade attention for mm-hmm. it? You know, I think this is pretty exciting. Like two, I agree with you that the winners are really going to win and everybody who's not at the top is going to make much less. But if even if you're making a thousand a month on your fiction, let's imagine that that's all one novel mm-hmm. and a thousand a month, 12 grand a year in fiction, the average like literary fiction advance is 10,000 or less. Mm-hmm. And a lot of literary fiction publications, which not all Wattpad is literary fact- fiction. In fact, most of it is, you know, genre, but this is the one that I happen to know the numbers for. Um, if you don't earn out your, you know, if you don't sell enough copies yeah. of your literary fiction title to earn out your $10,000 advance, you never start earning royalties. Well, except you're so, comparing the top earner here to a... That's true, to the average, a, a, right, right, Well, right. an average yeah. or below average, right? So, like, the top earner in literary fiction for this year, just looking, I mean, I happen to have it open, is The Nest, right? She sold yeah, 180,000 right. copies of that in print alone in the U.S. alone. Yeah, that's I, I way don't different than $12,000 Yeah, that's true, yeah. I, little apples to oranges. Well, I mean, you're right in thinking, of, I think it's a good way of thinking about scale, yeah, we don't know what the top end of this could be. That's why I said, is there some sort of there's some sort of pressure whether or not it's you know they don't maybe Wattpad doesn't have the program operating optimally to deliver ads to the top earners as mm-hmm. well as they could. Maybe they don't have as many partners as they might have down the road. Um, I you know there's there's always this, <laughs> there's always this thing with startups that you don't, they don't have ads, they don't have ads, they don't have ads. And lo and behold, you know what? Now we have ads. It sort of becomes mm-hmm. the thing where if you th- you think you might have some other kind of business bottle and you end up that you don't, then sort of you go to ads as a last resort. Like I would have guessed that five years ago, I'm guessing Wattpad's like, no, we're not gonna do ads. We're gonna do direct sales. We're gonna remember, you know, everything but ads. Um, so I, maybe I'm less, I'm a little more cynical about this. I have to say, you know, we've got all this attention. We couldn't monetize it another way. Let's try it this way. Um, but I think it's really great. I'm really happy for people who are really invested as creators on the Wattpad side that they will be getting a ch- share of the pie. I mean, I, I really believe that. Yeah, I think it's great. If, you are, if you're writing for a platform um, natively, you know, your content's appearing on there, that you should get a part of that, that business's revenue. Um, and so I'm glad to see Wattpad doing that. That's one of my concerns about something like mm-hmm. Medium, right? Where, yeah. you know, at some point, I'm sure they're going to turn on ads. And if every time we write someone on Medium, even if you don't, you know, ha- you have an ad play, you're just using it as a distribution platform, they're going to be a little ad to General Electric or whatever at the bottom. And you probably won't get any part of that. Um, but I think it's interesting, like, now, are they going to perform? I know Wattpad's huge in Asia. I mean, I'm not sure what their demographics are. I mean, is there a big, maybe there's a big market for book advertising for Asian properties. Um, how, how will they perform? What are the prices going to be? Everything's interesting. We're in this space too. So we know a little bit of how this works. For a, a, a company the size of Wattpad, there's not, you know, we talked about the sales. So you also know that, that there's not a huge marketing side. You know, it's not mm-hmm. Nike. It's not Boeing. Right. It's not Coca-Cola. Um, they're title by title. I mean, I guess Amazon and Barnes and Noble would be the biggest advertising players. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a title by title basis for something as big as Wattpad, it's going to be hard to fill that at a good rate just because yeah. there aren't enough, there just aren't enough titles, there aren't enough books yeah, and there's not a I money would, behind each title. Yeah. I would say I, w- I would not want to be the ad salesperson at Wattpad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> trying to sell out 40 million it's gonna be really hard. Publishing. It's going to be really hard to get a good rate. I mean, you, you almost can't go title by title with 40 million uniques. It's going to be hard, hard to do. Um, interesting. If you write for white Wattpad, we'd like to hear from you. If you, yeah, if you use really Wattpad, like things, it's, it's, we follow it from afar. Um, we're not in the muck of Wattpad, but it's a super interesting model to do. You know, Cereal Box, have we talked about them? Uh, they do... C- I don't know if we've talked about them on air. Yeah, Serial Fiction is their, their yeah. idea, you know, 40-minute installments week over week. Um, I thought about something similar, like they're trying to get people to pay for it directly. And I've, and I've thought since the beginning, you know, I feel like advertising is a way to go for that because um, mm-hmm. you, you do a lot of, lot of smaller chunks something that'd be possible. But the the larger idea of advertising being, I mean, what's what we do, right? You've, you've heard the show, you probably read the yeah. site. We subsidize the content we create and we make it possible with advertising. It's not that different if it were a novel rather than a blog post about, you know, uh, how to get the most out of using your library. Not that different. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it, the models for publishers are not set up for it. So someone like Wattpad is ideally set up to experiment with this random house. They're, they're not set up to 
to try to figure out how to subsidize it and do ad sales and get distributed and things like that. That's a completely that's an advertising kind of business. They're a sales business, but if it can work, it seems like Wattpad would be the ideal test case. So that's really interesting to find out about. Is that our show? I think that's our show. That's this our week. show. We had more stuff, but we we bit off big chunks. We've spent so much time talking to each other in the last week and a half. (laughs) I know. And and we still had stuff to say, weirdly. I know. Thank the Lord for news. (laughs) As always, uh, you can find show notes for this in every episode of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Also, you can find our other shows there. Bookriotlive.com. You've got scarce few days left to get your $20 off your VIP tickets. You get first crack at, you know, VIP seating. You get a water bottle. You get some other stuff thrown in there. It's November 12th and 13th. In New York, we're going to do a live recording of this show, live recording the other podcasts, too. I'll go to bookwritelive.com. Use offer code wheelhouse there. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. She's at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Also, shoot us an email, podcast at bookwrite.com. Especially when you hear from Wattpad users. We've got a lot of – oh, oh, follow up, follow up. we got some people telling us that Oprah stickers are a thing in other countries. In yes. Dubai, they put Oprah stickers on there. In the UK, we for sure – we know we have double eyeball confirmation on those two places yes. that there yeah. are no Oprah's one knows. A thing how much impact yes. they make or not, but they're there. They're there. They're, I mean, presumably if they put them on there, they do something. Um, but you know, Oh, I don't know I if know. we're going to give publishing that much credit. <laughs> Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.